0: well hey everyone good to be with you i'm gonna point you now to john chapter 5 if you want to go ahead and find that and before we dive in i want to say happy mother's day Uh, we're so glad that you are here to celebrate mother's day with us and uh, i was really thinking and praying this morning you know about what i want to share about mother's day and i've been reading a lot about the concept of grief and. You know, as we think about mothers and we think about um, what was so important to us about our mother or uh, the things that we feel like we're missing if our mother's not around anymore or even in the context of the many changes of our life and the complexity of relationships that happen when uh, we are in relationship with somebody so significant as a mother figure, Uh, maybe some of us even never really got to experience uh, having an earthly mother. Um, All of that is always an interesting uh, thing to think about on days like today Uh, because uh, there's a way in which we have to acknowledge um, grief and loss even in the midst of great celebration. Because on the other end, we have the joy of mother's prayers, the recognition of the servant-hearted love, the the love that is given time and time again and so frequently goes unacknowledged and yet is given over and over and over. And so we celebrate all that motherhood has given um, and we also grieve for the loss of those that we love and for the ways in which that has been expressed imperfectly in the world and I wanted to share with you something that I've been reading from uh, a guy named Francis Weller. He wrote a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, Rituals of Renewal and the Sacred Work of Grief and this is what he wrote. He said, grief is always in some ways accompanying us There are times when the presence of sorrow is acute, meaning really strong. A partner dies, a home turns to ash in a fire, a marriage dissolves, and we find ourselves alone. Sorrow is the sustained note in the song of being alive. Sorrow is the sustained note in the song of being alive. To be human is to know loss in many forms. This should not be seen as a depressing truth. Acknowledging this reality enables us to find our way onto the grace that lies hidden in sorrow. We are most alive at the threshold, meaning that place in between loss and revelation. Every loss ultimately opens us for a new way of encounter. And so one way I would say this just from a practical sense is that sometimes I would come to church and feel like the only part of me that I could bring is that celebratory part. Um, But in reality, there's this other side of the human experience of the loss and the sorrow. And I used to think those things, maybe one week I could be celebrating the other that I could have lost but actually those things go together and that there's a way in which our mourning as Christians actually leads us into joy. That if we can really be present to the ways in which you've experienced loss and grief and we can name those things collectively together that it actually makes a gateway for us into grace. Like at the bottom of the bottom of the things that we lose and the things that are hard for us is actually this base of grace that catches us um, and then allows, if we will, for something new to be made. And so I just want to share that with you on this Mother's Day, whatever you're going through, that my prayer is that you would find the grace as you go through and experience both the joy and the sadness at the same time intermixed together with that would you pray with me and we'll dive in to john chapter 5 lord jesus i pray your blessing over this time that we have together to explore your word Um, we thank you for the gift of our mothers uh, the ways that they have loved the ways that they have cared the ways that they've modeled your love for us Um, and we also come um, in need of your great love to be present, to heal, and to care, and to show us by example how to live the best way we can live. And so we come to your word now, Lord. May it open our heart and teach us how to be your disciples. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. John chapter 5, we're going to be in verse 16 through 30 today. And it says this. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. Is just, For I seek not to please myself. But him who sent me. Uh, the other day my son Remy and I were kind of on a roll in the car and it kind of went like this. It said, Dad, what do you call an irrational fear of people? And then I would say, agoraphobia. And then he would say, Dad, what do you call the irrational fear of spiders? And I would say, arachnophobia. And then he'd say, Dad, what do you call the irrational fear of clowns? And then I would say, I have no idea what you would, what you would say, but I think that's his deepest fear. Which leads me to want to share with you one of my favorite all-time cartoons, which is in your bulletin, but uh, it is a far-side cartoon, it has a picture of a guy, he's sitting in an office, and there are many rooms in the back uh, building there, and then maybe you can see in the far corner, then there is a duck, and then the... Tag is, antitydeaphobia, the fear that somehow, some way, a duck is watching you. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> right, but it's somehow, it says something about fear, right? That fear is pervasive. That there's so many ways to be afraid. There is really so many ways. You could just name a thing and then say, is there a diagnosis for this kind of fear. And I bring that up because there's a major transition that is taking place, right? Perhaps the greatest transition that has ever taken place is really the context for what we're reading about here in John chapter 5, right? That literally uh, BC, before Christ, and AD, after death, that, that that Jesus is on the scene and things are changing, that Jesus is here and his new life is becoming possible in the world and it is disrupting things. And I bring up fear because in transitions, it's likely that fears are going to be exposed. And we see that in the story, the context of the story, is that the Pharisees are afraid. Uh, They may not know it, but they are reacting to how Jesus is doing his work and ministry in the world with a form of fear. Their certitude has blinded them. Their certainty that the Messiah would come and verify and validate their systems, their interpretations of the law, their way of doing things, their certainty about that um, has made them actually miss the thing that is most important to see in this great transition. And I want us to think for just a little while about what it's like to live in this in-between, what uh, the big word we could use would be liminal space. The space where we know we're not where we used to be, but we're also not where we're headed yet. And we actually don't know exactly where we're headed. It's a little bit unclear because in reality, our whole life is a life of transitions where things change over and over and over. And so learning how to deal with change is so important as we wanna do it well so that we can grow more and more into all that uh, Jesus would offer us in Christ's likeness to grow in becoming more and more like Jesus. And our transitions are actually some of the best places where we can really learn how to become more like Jesus. And there's a great guide here, for how, in biblically, for how to do transitions well. Before we get to the positive example that Jesus offers us, I wanna offer two negative examples from the Bible um, in transition. So don't waste your transition would be the theme here, and two, people that wasted their transitions in the Bible, two people that we see, actually a people, an entire people, and then one major hero. So the entire people would be the Israelites. Perhaps you remember um, in the Old Testament, right, this group of people that had a lot of good things that God did for them, right? They were oppressed in, in slavery, in Egypt, and then Moses is risen up by God as a leader of the people and he liberates uh, all the slaves, those who were oppressed in Egypt through the Red Sea, right? What an amazing miracle. And then they wander in the wilderness and they make covenants with God on Mount Sinai they pledge to each other their allegiance and their covenanting together. And God has this great promise. He says, you're gonna go into the promised land but right when they get on the edge of the promised land, they send spies in to go look at this promised land. And then the spies come back and report. And after their report, this is how they respond. They say this, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt! Exclamation point. Or would that we had died in the wilderness? And so they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return back to Egypt. Okay, so they're in the midst of a transition. They've seen the powerful work of God. They see the promised land. They hear the challenges of the giants that are in the land. And what is their response? They say, nah, let's go back. Right? And in the midst of a transition, one of the things that can happen if we're not careful is we want to exit out the back door meaning let me go back to what is comfortable to the known to the certitude right and that's what the pharisees were doubling down on they like doubling down on their certainty that their way was the way because that was the way before and the way before them and they had built up this tradition to the point where now somebody's been miraculously healed by Jesus, they're carrying their mat, and they're seeing themselves as the one who needs to tell them they're Sabbath breakers, they're law breakers, right? Not to the point where they investigate, who healed you? This was our story last week, who healed you? And then they gotta get this man to confess that it was Jesus so they can go get Jesus. And now, now they're confronting Jesus and they're angry because Jesus has healed this man, so they're blind. Okay, just, just on the principle of the matter, so that would be the backdoor exit from the transition, right? Would be, I want to go back to my, even my oppression because it's familiar, I understand it. Well, here's another place where actually we could exit the front door, so meaning, we could try and jump out of the transition too early by trying to get out of it ourselves. Example would come from Genesis uh, chapter 16. You remember the story of Abraham. He's told that he would be the father of many nations in his old age, and Sarah and him are old and they're confused by this, they're astonished by it. They're, they've seen the presence of God, they've heard from God. They've heard God's plan that, that they would be the ones to be the, the parents of many nations, the people of Israel. And yet, if you turn the page one page, you see that even though they have this promise, they think, okay, well, I know I have this promise, but I'll execute on this. Okay? And so they come up with their own methodology for how this promise of God is going to become true in the world, perhaps you know the story, they get Hagar the servant. And she is, impre- yeah, Bible's a little messy, right? And that's their plan for how God would bring about many nations into the world. And yet in Genesis 16:12, we hear that, well, first, Sarah is incredibly jealous, and then we learn that Ishmael, their son, this is what the Bible says he will be like. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. So it was only after this that then Isaac comes into the world through Sarah, right? So it's like they, they got the promise of God, they were in this transition, and instead of waiting on the Lord, they came up with their own plan. And they wanted to exit this transition too early, before they had learned how to wait on the Lord. And so what then do we do in the midst of change, in the midst of the changes in our life, even the promises that God has given us that we were like, God, I I feel like I'm supposed to be going here, but I'm not quite there yet, and I don't understand why. Well, I think Jesus just gives us a stunning example here um, of of his inner life, right? Like, if you really think about this, like, what Jesus is doing here is not hidden. Right? Even though the Pharisees are missing it, he's making something very plain. You catch verse 19 it says very truly I tell you the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus' attentiveness, the word picture here for Jesus' attentiveness is like an apprentice, right? Jesus was a carpenter. And if you want to learn from a master craftsman, how do you do that as an apprentice? You pay very close attention to what that craftsman is doing you watch their routine, you watch their habits, you watch the unique ways in which they do something. If you want to do what they do, you have to pay close attention. In fact, we see this is from attention to attunement, right? This is like you're so attuned, you can so see what the father is doing that that's the same work that the son is able to do because he's so in tune with his father. He sees exactly what the Father is doing. Susan Beaumont writes about uh, this capacity for attending this way, she says, attending is a capacity for deep seeing and listening. It is an act of being fully present in a moment. It is not simply an act of hearing or remembering what was said and done. Attending is becoming fully awake to all that is happening to the full potential within and around. So that's what it means to be attending to something. With deep listening and deep seeing, we bring our full selves. We, we don't know, we know we can't go back to where we were. We don't know exactly what the future holds, but one thing that we can do is stand in a present moment with deep listening and deep seeing and wonderful acknowledgement that God is present, that he was with us in the past, he's with us in the present, and whatever the future may be, he will be there. And so imagine if we could just allow for the Pharisees, we give them the benefit of the doubt that transitions are hard. And so what would be the gift to give them to help them to see? It's just Jesus expressing his inner life to them and saying, would you walk in this new reality that's on the scene now, that the reason I'm doing what I'm doing is because I'm trying to the best of my ability to pay attention to what God is doing and bring it forward into the world. This is what it looks like when God is doing his work in the world. It looks like Jesus. Okay, so now a, a Mother's Day example for us as we come to the end here. So about two days ago, one of the real joys that I have of being here working at the church is every so often I'll get a Facebook message on my Facebook And it's just a story about somebody who was caught in homelessness that then was able to get out of homelessness because of the partnerships that our church has uh, with the city and the way this village of people comes around people that are homeless. And so two days ago, uh, a woman named Lila Amagura tagged me and a few others in a story that St. Andrews was a part of. I want to read to you uh, this story. It says this. Although it's 10 p.m. today, the mission was accomplished. This afternoon, two of my clients said that there was a mom and a two-year-old baby on the streets by the South Bay Galleria that were on foot. They said that she was scared last night, so the couple, stayed close to them outdoors, and the mom and the baby were somewhere unprotected. And Lila searched for hours, but by 8 p.m. she had given up. She said, I called my supervisor to let her know that I could not locate them, so she told me to finally go home. I was so disappointed that I couldn't find them, and just asked God for peace, because I felt so uneasy going home, knowing a baby was literally on the streets. And it was already so cold. And I just prayed and said, okay, Lord, I guess it wasn't meant to be. Then as I was leaving the Galleria parking lot to go check out of work, I spotted them. I yelled, thank you, Jesus. I jumped out of my car like a psycho and let her know i could get them a motel for the night so she started to cry hysterically and said she was going to try and hide in a storage unit for the night although it was way after work hours she called somebody from the city to help and he agreed to reimburse for a motel and then She called Miriam from St. Andrews. And Miriam was able to front the finances for this woman to stay the night at a hotel. And so that was the first post that I got. What a joy to just participate a little bit. And I know Lila, and I know Miriam, and I know their stories. And I know both of them are wonderful mothers with sacred wounds that have driven them to love with this capacity. In motherhood, it's particularly for a vulnerable mother like this. And so we get to participate in this way. Sometimes we don't get the second half of the story. But the next morning, the second half of the story came, where this mother was interviewed and uh, listened to and eventually came through that she had support systems back in Oregon and she had traveled here from Oregon, had a falling out with her grandmother and was willing to go back. And so a ticket was paid, St. Andrews bought the luggage and this mother was able to go back to her support system in Oregon. And so it is this way of paying attention Right, I love how Lila gives us this example of her ferocious care for the vulnerable and her attunement that would just keep searching and looking and praying and hoping and wishing that she could help somebody who's vulnerable in this way. This is what an apprenticeship to Jesus looks like. To share the heart of God to see God at work, and to simply rely on God for the things that matter most. Really, I think the practical step maybe for us this morning is just simply recentering Jesus in our lives. To think of the various parts of our lives, our finances, our family, our work, our friendships, as we face our families this week, how do we recenter, or even today, our lives, all of the parts of our lives around Jesus? You know, Jesus is the very center of the center, of the center of all things, including us. Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, Colossians 1:16 and 17 says this. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So as we sing this next song about how Jesus is the center of it all, my prayer is we just bring all of those things together, before him and and try and join to the best of our ability into this intimate relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, help us to apprentice ourselves to you. Help us to pay close attention to you so that we can become attuned to you and so that we can see your life In the world around us. That we might be an instrument of your great love. To the people around us. We thank you for uh, this time we have together. I pray a blessing over all Mother's Day celebrations. And all of the things uh, that we are headed into this week. Remind us to pay attention to you.